Hi, and welcome to Helping People Perform, the podcast that gives you fascinating insights into those people whose chosen vocation is to help others perform at their best. From consultants to teachers, sports coaches to financial advisors, all of my guests share a passion for getting the most out of individuals, teams, and organizations. Enjoy the episode. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Helping People Perform podcast. Today I'm joined by Katz Keeley, founder and CEO of Beep and Chair of Trustees at Frontline Live. So welcome to the show, Katz. Oh, thank you for inviting me. It's oh, really exciting. Pleasure to have you on. And uh, we've got a lot to talk about, some great stuff that you uh, both have done and do right now. So um, if we could start with a bit of background, you know, what have you done to get yourself to where you are today? How long do you got? Um, so, um, I, uh, so at the beginning of my career, I in in the sort of folly of youth, I could see that something was really crazy. One of and this was big corporations, yep. you know, the media companies, the tech companies, the telcos, the all of the people that I was working with at the time had no idea that digital was going to change their world. Right. And on the other side, I was working with all these incredible innovators and startups that were just making stuff happen really quick and yeah. really cheap. <laughs> and so I'm seeing startups, innovators needing money and the big companies really needing innovation and they weren't talking to each other. Right. So I thought, I'm going to set up a company and do that. I'm going to figure out how to get the big companies to talk to the innovators and have meaningful relationships. So we did two things. One of them was we set up a uh, a big event, which happened once a year, and it brought together people that I called B.Tween people, between people. Right. They were the kind of people who are inside organizations, big, small artists, but people who like to see the links between three things. Right. So people who were constantly looking to make things better and were fascinated by digital. So it was an amazing event and people still say to this day when are you going to start doing between again that was the best thing that ever happened and it was good because we treated it like an experience it wasn't a conference right it was an opportunity for the people in the room to meet people they would never meet so that they could figure out how they could collaborate and to get different people speaking to each other we really messed around with formats and started using technology to show the people in the room what was possible so i think we were the very first ever event to use twitter for right because i had this idea that actually i'm i would never be the sort of person who would stand up in a conference and go hi i'm Katz Keeley and i'm the founder and ceo of beep and i do this that i just never do that it's it would it's not for me so i loved the idea that anyone could ask a question and you could democratize the conference space in that way. I think we were the first people to ever do a, a web stream from an event because it was back in the days where they were like, you can't, if you stream it, nobody will buy tickets. It was <laughs> right. like, you know, I think they will because yeah. it's a really different experience. Um, so the event was one thing and that was our kind of sales platform, come together, figure out what's possible in the digital world. Um, and then we also set up the very first ever open innovation competition platform. Mm-hmm. which was way before its time. Catsies are very good at doing things before their time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and it basically, we would work with clients to help them figure out what they needed to do better. Right. 
Uh, we'd make it sure it's really concise and simple. And then we put that out to our ecosystem of innovators. And it was an open gallery. And we used influencer power in the way that wasn't happening at the time. It was kind of social before social. And so we'd help that the crowd would help us to figure out which were the best answers to the client question. Right. And we'd choose 10 of them. We'd help them to learn to pitch properly. So by the time they got in front of the, the, the board of the company we were working with, they knew how to express what they wanted to do to the clients in a way that the client could hear it and understand it. Mm. Uh, brilliant. Really good fun. Worked with lots of different people um, until we realized that you can get the most creative, the most innovative, the most spectacular people into large corporations and they would get chewed up and spat out right. every time. It might take six months, it might take a year, but we realized the operating models that these companies were using were, di- the, the environments that they created were diametrically opposed to the environments in which people can innovate, be right. creative. So we started working on the inside of corporations, looking at innovation labs and using digital for internal communications. And you know, got very good at experimenting. And, and right. let me be clear, half of the time we did not know what was going to happen. And that was it was the fun of the game, wasn't it? In, yeah. in that particular decade where we were all trying to figure out what worked and what didn't. And then I got headhunted by the UN, well. uh, which was quite something. And... And the UN is, if you can imagine, the most bureaucratic, hierarchical corporation you've ever worked for, and times it by 10, wow. you end up with where the where the agency that I worked in was at that time. I'm not saying it is now because things have most definitely changed. But um, it was a digital transformation program. And what I realized there was that um, if I'd have gone in there and gone, I'm a technical expert, we're going to use these digital technologies and they're going to, people would have just resisted it. There would have been no change going on, but I didn't. I went in, I was humble. I said, I don't know this organization and I only know what I can know. Hmm. Found change agents, um, heard what they had to say about what they wanted to do better, hmm. had design thinking workshops. So it was all about, you've got the answers here. I'm just here to help you. Yes. And then when we, when we had a clear vision of where we wanted to go, then we could start talking about tech. Right. Oh, well, how can we do that? Mm. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, that's fine. We could definitely get a license for that. Or mm. So it, it was very successful and it was the hardest thing I've ever done and the, and the best thing I've ever done all at the same time. Right. I learned a lot about, at the end of the day, even the most change-resistant organizations can be changed if you do it with people, yeah, not to them. Mm. That's vital, isn't it? Yes. And then, and then I left there, and because I'm a geek, and because my brain works in a particular way, I needed to understand why people are so change-resistant and w- why the 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 approaches that I'd learned to use by trial, accident, error, experimentation. So why do they work when so many ways of doing transformation don't? Um, So I got really into behavioral science and started to understand how we make decisions um, 
and the kind of the predispositions that stop us being the best we can be, right. but also can be used to help people be the best they can be. So, you know, that's when I met Dan Ariely, who literally changed my life and has continued to do so ever since. Right. Um, do you know who he is? I don't know Dan, no. Dan Ariely is the best known behavioral psychologist in the world. Right. Um, there shall be links. <laughs> so he, the two books that were most formative for me, the first one was called Predictably Irrational. Okay. And what that was, what that was about is the fact that the whole of the economic system, most of our systems, our political systems, our work systems are all set up based upon an erroneous assumption. And that erroneous assumption is that we're rational. We make rational decisions. We do not. No. We make decisions and we rationalize them. So the first one's about that. The second one, which is called the upside of irrationality, is about the fact that but if we understand our predispositions and we can use them to redesign the way we do things, that's an amazing thing because we're at a point in time where we're starting to understand the brain on an individual level, but also a social level. Yeah. And so we can start to harness that to make sure that the things that we may have gotten wrong can be put right. Right. I would say that one of those things and, and relevant to this podcast is those operating models. Yeah. Yeah. Which are at the moment in most corporations as diametrically opposed to the conditions in which humans thrive as they could literally possibly be. Hmm. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's an amazing setup, isn't it? And uh, thanks for that. I'm, I'm going to put the links to those books uh, in, into the show notes as well. And uh, I've noted them down not only for this podcast, but I'm going to be getting my read on uh, and <laughs> get my own geek on and, uh, and following up on that. So appreciate it. Phenomenal. Yeah, he yeah. is the most extraordinary chap. And I, I was lucky enough to have him on my podcast as well. And the thing about Dan is you very rarely hear him just talking. Right. He's, he's doing the talk that he's doing at that time. And he's, a, you know, he's a global he's famous as right. hell so like you go out <laughs> to dinner with him and people literally walk up to him and go oh my god it's done already yeah. um but yeah for this podcast we just talked about how how people even though all of the data is there all of the research is there to show leaders how to lead properly hmm. they still go back to normal this is how we do things and and it's nonsensical yeah no it's uh there's two things that, that spring to mind on, on that one for me one is the the sort of spring back from um you know people having to go back into the office right now and uh and, and all of that um hybrid working piece but also um classrooms you know you, you talk about diametrically opposed to actual learning let's sit our kids down tell them to be quiet and, and do that there's so much science out there that says this isn't the right thing to do and somewhere on the lines we've got to shape that up to uh to really make a step change haven't we and, and it has to be, you're exactly right to say that, and it's something that's on my mind a lot of the time, that if we don't embed expectations and behaviours in children when they're at school, we're getting something horrifically wrong. And our education system does not do that in the main at all. Right. We're preparing people for a, for a world that doesn't exist and a world that actually didn't make much sense anyway when it did, yeah. I would say. Oh, 
fascinating I've gone talk on this for for hours I'm sure <laughs> um but getting into some of the things that you do now then I mean fa- amazing background and some of the the stuff that you've done there and working with the UN and those huge scale digital transformation pieces that you're talking about you know it's uh um what what have you moved that into in terms of uh beep and your uh being the chair of trustees uh and things like that you know what what does today hold for you cats how do you help people so, um, gosh, that's really interesting that you're bringing those two things in. So I have the core of my work is if you can unhide blockers to excellence, if you can see the truth, mm. if you can see problems, people will rally around to solve them. Right. Um, unfortunately, most leaders in most companies uh, put their fingers in their ears and go, la, 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 because if you listen to what employees say, you might hear something you don't want to hear. <laughs> well, I think that's pretty nonsensical, personally. Yeah. So I also know that if you bring people together in design thinking workshops, rapid prototyping workshops around challenges that they all care about yes. and they share, the most incredible thing happens. It's like the people in the room connect with each other. Mm. And so those two things uh, put together are exactly what we do as a business, which is help large corporations to surface the blockers, the barriers, the behaviors that are getting in the way of brilliance, Mm. getting in the way of speed, agility, all of those things that people talk about all of the time. Um, So we help them to surface those blockers and we give them the tools and the capability and the mindsets and the behaviors so that they can, so that people feel empowered to get together with people from other parts of the organization and find fixes for them. Because amazingly, most of these little blockers that we all put up with on a daily basis and you, you know, nobody really finds time to fix them. They are the source of such an enormous lack of productivity, lack of, you know, lack of efficiency. Uh, So, yeah, so that's what we do. And we do that for large corporations kind of tends to be kind of over a thousand people. Right. Um, and we help them understand better what their culture is now. So we do a cultural audit yep. based upon this thing that I've uh, pulled together over the years called the Create Framework, Nice. Um, which I'll, I'll give you the link for. But basically, it's a really useful, helpful uh, framework for leaders to just, in one place, see the conditions that are most important for people to be as productive as they can be. So C stands for community. Hmm. Do people watch each other's backs? Um, Collaboration. Do people feel okay to be able Hmm. to find people from other places and just do stuff with them? Uh, Co-creation. If you co-create things with people, they feel like they own that thing and they want it to work. You know, R stands for reward and uh, recognition and so we go through the letters of create so we do an audit help them to understand where they really are rather than where they would like to be yeah uh give them an idea of what brilliant could look like and then we go through senior leaders get them to feel safe with behaving in a different way by Mm. talking about the things that are blocking them being brilliant right uh then the next level down then we start finding change agents. And then uh, being the geek that I think I've already said I am, <laughs> uh, 
I, I, I kind of thought a few years ago, well, if you can do the same thing over and over and over again, and we keep doing this for clients and using bits of technology and tacking them together, surfacing shared challenges, finding change agents, giving them a voice, helping them to understand that they can fix most of these things themselves without having to wait for yep. the, you know, the, the board to fix them for them. I thought, well, if I, if you do that again and again, there must be a way of turning it into a software platform. Right. So that's the the kind of the 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 kind of the, the really most interesting. The thing that I'm loving the most at the moment is the the development. We've just got patent pending on the technology, and it does exactly that. It incentivizes people at all levels, in all regions, to um, surface the things that are getting in the way of them doing their best work. And if enough people across the organization rally around that beep, yeah, um, they can. Uh, self-organize their own design thinking workshop to find a fix wow oh that's brilliant stuff uh, um, <laughs> uh, there's so many things that hit home in terms of that uh, you know the co-creation and the answers are in an organization you know I've I I found it difficult in my early years as a consultant the bit of I'm going in and I'm just giving you the same answers that all you're doing is getting me to talk to your people and then talk to you and tell you what they've told you. What, why am I here? <laughs> um, but yeah. you know, un- un- unfortunately there is a, a need for that in a lot of ca- cases, but actually can you, how can we build this out and build that capability uh, across organizations so that it can actually recognize that great stuff. Um, and the other thing that that um, hit home to me is I I spent a few years working with McLaren, the Formula One team. And that's uh, a lot of my history recently. And uh, we talk about culture of responsibility through yes. through data in that case. But it's more that it's those blockers and those things that people are hiding behind. If the data is there and you trust the data, or if you trust that this is the actual truth of what's happening, then as long as everybody agrees that's the truth, then you've got nowhere to hide. And it becomes much easier in those cases to say, you know, I messed up. There's no point in saying I didn't mess up because the data fully backs up that I did. <laughs> you know, we talk about a driver going into a corner and their their hands are slightly in the wrong position compared to where they should yes. be ideally. The data, by the time you're out of the corner, tells you that. So there's no point in the driver saying, oh, it wasn't my fault, it was the engineer's fault. Well, no, they give by having that truth in place, people can say yeah. it was something that I did. I, you know, let's learn from it. Let's move on. Let's get better. That, and that's it. And and so, what was really interesting about what you've just said there is, is I've been in so many organisations where you start talking about data as a tool for improvement, hmm. and nobody really wants to start sharing their data because if they share it, somebody might think they've done something wrong. And that's why it's important if you're going to move towards data informed. And I always say data informed rather yeah. than data led. Yeah, you have to do it alongside a change of culture. And a change of mindsets and a change of behaviors, by which I mean, if everyone knows that every little thing that goes wrong is is a way by which they can make things better, then people are incentivized to speak up. It's like, yeah, no, this is not working, as opposed to doing what most companies do and just put up with it. (laughs) Otherwise, (laughs) somebody might look bad. And actually, there is a culture of fear and... So, so yeah, no, hundred percent agree with you. And data oh. is either the biggest stick or the biggest biggest carrot, depending on how you choose to use it. Yeah, it's got to be hand in hand with culture, hasn't it? Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, Otherwise, people go Ooh, data <laughs> sharing. <laughs> yeah, um, 
The other bit there you mentioned about being chair of trustees at Frontline Life. Tell us a bit more about the work that, that happens there. So um, at the beginning of the COVID um, nightmare, uh, I find myself back in Sheffield in my little house here, which was airbnb thinking, oh, my God, what's going on? Anywhere, I talked to a friend of mine, and she, who's a nurse, and I was saying, I can't get shopping delivery. I don't know what I'm going to do. And she went, oh, that's a shame. Well, I'm going to work tomorrow, and we'll probably deal with people with COVID, and we haven't got any masks. So let's put that in context. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, okay, I'm a twat. I get yeah. it. Um, <laughs> And so then I became, and also I was talking to some people who are doing some work around open open source technologies and sort of citizen activism, et cetera. Um, and so we, I put a call out on social media. Yes, the other thing that was happening is these people going into work without protection, the government and senior leadership, because they didn't want to look bad, mm. were telling these people to be quiet. Well, I'm, I'm sorry, that's not okay. So... So I thought, well, how hard would it be to create a platform where people on the front line could anonymously say what they were running short of? We could plot it on a digital map so that the people who want to help, the small companies, the citizen activists, the community groups can get them what they need to bridge the gap. So I put a call out on social media and uh, about 40 people jumped in, all sorts of amazing people. We had it launched within four weeks. And fast forward a year where we've had Snapchat jump on board to do stuff with us for free, Microsoft, um, Ocean Outdoor gave us 16 out of home screens to put stuff out on. It was the most extraordinary thing. And guess what? If you can see a problem, people will rally around to solve it. Yeah. So by the end of the year, we had about a half a million pieces of PPE delivered to the front line across our ecosystem. Um, so then we spent last year making the open source technology more open source and more robust. And again, Microsoft have been incredible on that. Uh, and talking to loads of different NGOs about how this platform, this open source platform, this platform, which is made to enable and empower continuous improvement by connecting people who are not normally connected. Yeah. Uh, what can we do to help? And then, of course, the war started. Right. And one of our amazing volunteers, uh, who's been there since the very beginning, turned up at one of our meetings and uh, in tears saying, isn't this what we've been set up to do? And right. so we redesigned the code. We relaunched in, in Ukraine and... Uh, on the 1st of December, we're going to be launching our first crowdfunding campaign um, to crowdfund for generators because obviously there's a terrible problem mm. with electricity, but also the six medical items that have been most requested by our registered charities so that we can allow the people who want to help to help yeah. and in a way that's transparent and accountable. So if I put money into a defibrillator, I want to be able to see that defibrillator being delivered to somebody in Ukraine. So it's right. exactly what we're doing. Right. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, really? that's, <laughs> yeah, it's it's fantastic work. So, I mean, um, it's I, I know of stories of individuals in particular, but in small groups, but individuals during the COVID times who would take it upon themselves because they had a car and because they could get out they would get whatever PPE they could get their hands on and literally drive around their local uh, hospitals and and surgeries and things like that. 
but without really knowing exactly what individuals wanted. So people want to help in those circumstances. Big shout out to Steve Huxley, by the way, uh, for the work he did there. Um, And uh, and yeah, just connecting those people with where is their help having the most impact? Because like I've had lots of times it's like I want the help, but I don't know how. You know, yes. and just tell people this is how, and people so, will help, won't they? Oh, that's an amazing piece. So, uh, so and yeah. I'll give you a link to. Well, so we've now got about ten volunteers, maybe more, who are working with us on top of their full time jobs. Um, and one of them's just delivered. Uh, Reese has just delivered this beautiful little video to explain the whole ethos behind who we are, why we are. So I'll give you the link to that as well. Oh, superb! Definitely going in the notes there. <laughs> um, <laughs> awesome. Um, Okay, so um, moving us. <laughs> yeah, there's too many ideas. I'll I'll, I'll be speaking <laughs> afterwards. Um, in terms of your own performance, then, um, where do you go? Who do you speak to? How do you get improvements in your own performance in whatever um, um, context that means for you? So I am extraordinarily lucky in that I've got an, an amazing network of people who either I've worked with or we share the same vision. So I've got advisors um, who I, I'll just phone up and have and chat to when I'm feeling insane because it's not easy to be an entrepreneur, is it? No, it certainly isn't. No. It's it's a lonely old thing. And um, so I've got a network of kind of amazing people who help me think things through. I always call it like being almost, they're often just a cardboard analyst. Okay. They're there to allow me to find the answer that I can't get to when I'm on my own. Right. And I've got the most extraordinary network of women friends. Mm. Uh, one particular group, the cool chicks, we call them. Um, four women, all very geeky, all doers, all activists in their own way. Yeah. Um, from the beginning of COVID to the end of COVID at seven o'clock, every Friday night, we spent an hour together. Right sharing and yeah I, I I genuinely don't know what I would do without my girlfriends mm. yeah no it's uh those networks and particularly the um less formal networks as well but I, I found like being over the last year or so being truly out on my own it was kind of a little bit different before this but um just having someone to go I I'm t- it doesn't even have to be about the subject of work and then just having a little chat about something you suddenly Find yes. your brain going, oh, that's a connection that can happen. But without that connection to people, it's a very difficult thing to do just on your own, isn't it? And meditation, you know, as you're saying that, I think meditation for me has again kept me sane because clearing your mind for long enough to be at for, for, for the truth to appear to you, right? Because you know, my, my brain's very busy a lot of yeah. the time, but actually yeah. just stopping. But no, absolutely, I think. And the other thing that I would say is, as an example, I've just made a new one-pager for Beep because it's quite complex if you don't understand all the thinking behind it. So how do you then simplify that on something where people go, oh, yeah, that's really obvious. Um, And so I had a go. uh, And I'm on lots of networks, WhatsApp groups, and I've literally just said, look, has anybody got 20 minutes? Because I'd love to show you this thing and get your feedback. Right. And I don't know, 10 people did exactly that. And now I'm at a place where I heard and saw what they read so that I could improve it. Because for me, everything can be better always. That's my basic premise. (laughs) So 
And when I'm talking to clients, I'll say, what landed with you? Right. Yep. How did that feel? And they're not questions you people ask each other, but I don't really understand why. Mm. Yeah, I, I was having a, a conversation earlier today as well about just the power of just asking people for their opinion or asking people for their time. Yes. It's amazing how generous people can be with their time and their efforts and their feedback, isn't it? If you just ask. People love it. People, yeah. it's very rarely that somebody will go, I'm sorry, I'm too busy. Yeah. It does happen, but you probably don't really want the advice of those people anyway. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> My house for dinner party. <laughs> okay. So, you know, there's, there's neuroscience behind that as well. You know, so I think if we're brutally honest and look at the research, um, people do good because it feels good. Yeah, uh, we are absolutely selfish creatures, and even philanthropy is something that, if you look at the science behind it, it's because it makes us feel it makes us release neurochemicals that make us feel warm and fuzzy. Yeah, and so you're kind of doing people a favor by asking them for their help. In truth, yeah. well, there's a there's a lesson for all of our listeners out there. Get <laughs> get get asking. <laughs> Um, and, and be that person who will really, really happily give your time for others as well. It brings back huge bonuses. It does. It does. A um, couple of quick fire questions just to, uh, as we move on. In terms of any group, individual, organisation that you would love to work with, that you believe your skill set could really add some value? I I was thinking about this and my answer would be the public sector, the civil service. And I'll tell you for why, because I have done some bits of bits and pieces of work for councils. And uh, when you work for a corporate, you are working for a corporate so that you can end up making loads of money. So mm. there's kind of there's a why there. Um, and and therefore, you may expect to put up with some pretty terrible management because, you know, you're going to be in the public sector. People don't sign up because they want to earn loads of money. They sign up because they really, really want to help. Yeah. whatever it is and unfortunately and I'd say the same for most charities and I'm spending a lot of time talking to charities because of Frontline Live mm. um, their operating models are so fundamentally outdated and broken that they're going through worse leadership and management often mm. and not through anybody's fault there's some amazing people working in the public sector but I just think it's so important that People are rewarded and recognized and given the environments in which they can thrive. And especially now, yeah. you know, because clearly the government aren't supporting the public sector in the way they should. Yeah. And I also, a uh, bit contentious, you know, there's a lot of money goes out through the public sector. And if the individuals who are working within those organizational structures are not able to give their best because mm. it's so broken, so siloed, so bureaucratic, etc., that's not good for the efficiency of the country either. So I would say I'd like to be doing a lot more transformative work with leaders inside civil service in the public sector. Fantastic. I did some public sector work for the first time uh, earlier this year. I, I'd always been private till then. And uh, I was amazed by the quality of people, um, but also how and the passion that they had and but how they were hogtied a lot of the time by the systems and processes that they had in place, uh, which they had some 
control over in some ways and, and what they what they could do they were desperately trying to but a lot of a lot of the time it's like as you say it's the operating environment it's the uh it's the whole setup that really uh puts things in its handcuffs should we say and you know unnecessary governance and i mean it's just outdated nobody's and I feel I almost feel like being able to go and talk to the government and saying, you know, rather than you cutting costs, how about you do something about incentivizing people to make sure you're getting the best out of the people rather than just firing them yeah. and leaving everybody behind feeling worse? I mean, yeah. that's there's no common sense there. No, it's not. From a kind of neuroscience point of view, what you're doing is you're leaving a culture of fear yeah. and a culture of fear will never get the best out of people. Oh, um, and <laughs> I'm going to flip, flip uh, this is this is too good. Um, flipping the conversation on, on its head a little bit. Who would you love to sit down with, have a cup of coffee, have a glass of wine that you think would actually help you perform at your best? So it's, uh, this is such an interesting question and I've been thinking about it. And there's, in a way, all of the things I talk about and no doubt you're talking about, um, which are about creating environments in which humans thrive, this has been going on for hundreds of years. It's like, you know, the, the industry leaders, the Quakers at the beginning of industry realized if you give people the best environment and build a community, they will do their best work for you. So I'd love to sit down with some of those people and hear the reality of those stories so that I can convey them to the people who are leading now in this right. quite broken way of doing things. Mm. But also, I, you know, I'd really love to talk to Mark Benioff. Right. Mark Benioff has been, whatever you may think of him, he's been my hero and um, and an inspiration to me because my plan with Beep, the technology, is that every time we sell a license to a corporate, we'll gift a license to a not-for-profit working towards the sustainable development goals. Brilliant. And, um, and I genuinely, as a thought piece, let me throw this at you. <laughs> what would the world look like if policymakers made it impossible to incorporate a business unless you had doing good built into your business DNA. <laughs> it would look a lot different to what it is right now, that's for right? sure. Mm. You know, nobody would be nobody would be minding uh Amazon growing as big as it is if every pound of profit did yeah. something good for the world. Yeah. And and it's it's and I believe it's entirely possible. But the reason I said but Mark Benioff is because he found it really hard to get investment, as I've done, hmm. because he wouldn't drop this one-to-one-to-one -to -one -to -one thing. He's right. always built doing good into the way that his business works. And, hmm. and I think that's an inspiration. If, but, you know, he started the cloud-based enterprise SaaS thing anyway. Yeah. But was so committed to this doing good as well. Right. I don't know whether that's still the case inside Salesforce. I don't know Salesforce well, but... It's an inspiration for me, so I'd love to sit down and get some tips from him. Brilliant. No, I, I a lot of the stuff I talk to my clients about when it comes to results in particular, I talk about what do you want to achieve, but how do you want to achieve it? Because you can achieve profit, you can achieve you know great sales or, or, or great pro productivity, whatever it might be. But if it's done at the expense of what really matters to you, then e either legally yeah. or eth ethically, um, sustainably, whatever that is that really means something to you, then firstly, as an organisation, you're not going to be the organisation you want to be. And secondly, I think it, this is now the sustainability angle, the DNI agenda, everything, it's becoming less of a nice to have, as it, as it should become less of a nice to have, and more of an absolute necessity 
but for organizations and I love what you're saying there about the one-to-one-to-one etc 100 100 oh brilliant uh, but I also think that humans are fundamentally selfish mm-hmm. and unless you have some unless you have doing good built into your hardwired into your you know men's and arts mm. it's very easy for a bad leader to come in and change things and refocus I think it needs to be central mm. rather than a periphery piece that people can choose or not so it, this is just one of my little bugbears <laughs> and I know from all of my financial planning with the software yeah you can absolutely do that and and we also will get more data, which would be really useful, and we can help the companies with their ESG, uh, their non-financial reporting. Yep. There's a load of really good common sense behind that. So it's not just wanting to do good, although it really is just wanting to do good. <laughs> well, that's, that's good stuff. <laughs> um, so how do people find out more? Where do we go to find out more about Beep and about um, uh, Frontline, uh, Frontline Live? Apologies. Frontline Live. So, yeah. um, so wearebeep.com is yeah. my company's website. I'm Katz Keeley. It's so easy to find me <laughs> online. It's ridiculous. Can't be many uh, of you. And frontlinemap.org okay. is where the fundraising um, uh, portal will be from the 1st of December. And the actual the actual Ukrainian registered charity data platform is at frontlineliveukraine.org. Okay. And okay. I have to say that talking about purpose, the mm. fact that not one not one one penny's changed hands for all this to happen. This has all right. been done by the good of people's hearts. And that feels great. Do you know yeah. this is like my philosophy and my science brought to life i mean it's incredible what people will do when they feel they're making a difference yeah amazing stuff and i'll make sure all of those links are in the show notes and everybody has the opportunity to to support in whatever way they can um and do do reach out uh go to we are beep go to frontline live reach out to cats i'm sure if you've got any opportunities to support that yourself so uh, a great purpose and a great organization so cats really enjoyed our chat today um hope uh hope it's been good for you and hope our listeners have found some true inspiration and some true um thoughts there as to how they can help others perform as well as helping themselves so thanks for having uh for coming on oh today. i should mention so, oh, so yep. and also the create framework is at catskeely.com okay you can go and find the your cultural audit framework is just there so just go in and, and go and have a look and think Fantastic. <laughs> thank Bye. you so much paul it's been really 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 good i know i chat a lot but that's just me an absolute pleasure and uh thanks for your time Kat. thank you Bye. thanks for listening to today's episode If you liked what you heard, then please give the podcast a rate, review and share. I'm Paul Teasdale, and from sausage making to banking, oil and gas to Formula One, I help people perform. If you'd like to find out more and have a conversation, contact me via helpingpeopleperform.com.